people will eat food after this virus. And so let's say like, for example, gluten. So people don't understand why can't I eat gluten? Well, the reason you can't eat gluten is because your immune system is so busy trying to put out this virus that it's the gluten protein looks like the virus. And so it starts attacking the gluten also. What's up, lovely ladies? Dr. Emily Kybert here with Thyroid Strong Podcast. I am a chiropractor, a mama to Elvis in Brooklyn, and I have Hashimoto's, but it's currently in remission. On this podcast, I share simple, actionable steps with a little bit of tough love on how to lose that stubborn weight, get your energy and your life back, and finally learn how to work out without burning out, living with Hashimoto's. Lori Kushner, welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We're going to talk all about brain fog today. That was one of my major symptoms with Hashimoto's. And I think it's more common today, especially with people with long COVID. One of the biggest struggles is brain fog. But I love to hear how you got into working with this very niche population, but also an ever-growing population of women with autoimmune conditions. Yeah. Well, I have been living with multiple autoimmune diseases for a very long time. I was diagnosed at 12, which is very unusual to be diagnosed so young. And in fact, when I got diagnosed, I was told by the doctors that it's really rare that this is like an old person's disease. And they told me to stop taking medicine at 19. They said, it's something I would grow out of. I never grew out of Hashimoto's. <laughs> that didn't happen. Did they have a reason for why? I mean, I know they were like, oh, that's so weird. But were they like, oh, maybe you have Hashimoto's at this young age because... Oh, no, no. They were stumped. I was like a medical mystery. They had no idea why I had it. In fact, I had two years of strep throat infections from the time of birth until two years old. And then finally, at two years old, I had my tonsils taken out, which handicapped me because without your tonsils, you are missing part of your immune system. And in fact, when I was diagnosed, they did not even tell me that Hashimoto's was an immune system problem. They thought it was just all about the thyroid. And somehow, just magically, my thyroid just stopped working, basically. And so what I find really unusual is that at 16, I got mono. And my case was so bad, I was rushed to the hospital because my throat was like out to my chin and I was about to like die because my throat was going to close up. So they had to give me like an emergency, really high dose of prednisone. And in order for them to give me that prednisone, I had to be monitored in a hospital. And because they actually thought I was going to die. And so they didn't even like put two and two together with that at the time. Mm. They didn't realize that mono was Epstein-Barr and that Epstein-Barr probably came with the strep throat because pathogens all come together. So it's interesting that they took you off your meds at 19. Like what was the thought process around that? So my doctor at the time, I was living in South Florida 
And he was at Mount Sinai Hospital in Miami. And he was a pretty old man. So by the time I reached 19, he had passed away. So I never had anyone to really ask. And I was just taught that pharmaceutical drugs were bad for human beings. And so I thought that thyroid hormones, I thought that was a pharmaceutical medicine because it was RXed by a doctor. I didn't realize it was like a hormone. I didn't realize it was something that women need to feel good and survive. I thought it was just like a, a bad medicine. And so I took myself off it because I thought that humans who took pharmaceutical drugs were like bad people. You know, they were like less than because you needed a pharmaceutical drug. And so I just took myself off it, which I think is a common thing with women, right? That's why I wanted to bring that up. I think yeah. hormones are really misunderstood. And I think we need to talk about that because many people look at thyroid hormones as like a pharmaceutical drug when it's not. It's like estrogen or progesterone or testosterone that they give men in postmenopausal years because men have menopause like women do. I mean, I think a lot of women, and I actually just got an email about this from a woman the other day, and she's like, I've been on Levo since I was a teenager. And she's like, I want to get off of it. But every time I get off of it, my TSH spikes up, but I want to live this quote unquote, like natural. And I responded like, if you need it and it makes you feel good and you're doing all the other work, like there's no shame around taking medication. Is my belief. I agree with you. But at the time, I didn't understand all of this stuff. I didn't understand the difference between a hormone and a pharmaceutical drug. Right. Because it was prescribed by a doctor and the doctor never explained anything to me. And so at that time, I actually, not only did I stop my thyroid medicine, but I actually did something else that was very bad. I went vegan because I actually thought that that was going to make me healthy, mm. but it actually made me very unhealthy and I got anemia very bad and I got sick. I couldn't even exercise. I got really, really sick. That was like the first time in my life that I really felt sick Yeah, when I thought when I stopped my thyroid hormones and went vegan at, at 18. So what was that? I mean, obviously... You don't feel that way now. <laughs> so what was the tr kind of a transition or a shift after going vegan and not feeling great? You know, it took me a while to realize because when you're vegan and you're not taking your thyroid hormones, brain fog mm, comes yeah. on really, really strong. So it's very hard to think for yourself when you have brain fog because you also know that your brain is foggy. And so that causes a lot of emotional insecurity, confidence issues. And so I began to lose trust in myself and my abilities. And so I kind of went through this whole downward spiral of lacking confidence and just feeling insecure. And really, I think the thing that helped me was that I was always into the way I look and I was always into my body. And so I got into fitness. And I think, thank God, because that at least got my circulation going and it helped my blood sugar and eventually got me out of the veganism world. And I started eating protein again. 
And so just slowly things started lifting, but it took a while as things do. (laughs) I was also vegan for a while and I was also a raw foodie. I did a 40 day juice cleanse, cleanse, quote unquote. And I remember transitioning back to animal protein and I felt like like a light switch had been turned back on, like my life force had <laughs> returned. For women who don't know what brain fog is, because sometimes we accept our new, you know, Hashi norm as our norm. Can you explain some of the symptoms of brain fog? Yeah, I can explain it as feeling like there is cobwebs in your brain. So almost like sticky glue, like your brain is just not firing. And then when you try to work, you get really tired really quickly. And then when you try to speak, you can't remember the words that you want. They're like there and you can like see it and feel the word, but you just can't get to it. And it's very frustrating. And it can affect short-term and long-term memory, right? So in the moment, I also remember trying to read a book and I kept on reading the same page over and over again. And I was like, what did I just read? It's funny that you say that because when I was a young girl, I was actually diagnosed with all these problems way before I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's because no one thought about Hashimoto's way back then, you know, because I'm a little bit older. They never thought that a young person could have Hashimoto's. So they diagnosed me with reading comprehension problems, ADHD, and mild dyslexia. I truly believe, knowing what I know now, all of that is Hashimoto's. Yeah, for sure. Especially at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. Were you put on medication for any of those things? I was. I was put on Ritalin for six weeks, and then my parents did not like what it did to me. I was taken off. And I was sent to tutors for many, many years, which also further affected my self-esteem because I didn't really understand at seven, like why this was happening and what was going on. And I was in a fog and I, you know, at seven, you have no contrast to compare it to. I, I don't, I never knew what it was like not being in a fog. So I just really felt bad about myself growing up. I felt Like there was something wrong with me. So women who are like, oh my gosh, this is me. What would be some causes that someone struggling with Hashimoto's, like what would be some of the causes of their brain fog that they could start to kind of investigate? Yeah, I think the biggest problem is the standard American diet. That is the problem. The problem is when I was growing up, My father was a little bit overweight. My mother was concerned with her body image. And so my whole family went on a low-fat diet. That is very, very bad. They followed Atkins. You know, Atkins was really popular way back then. Now we call it keto, stuff like that. The words just change, but the concepts stay the same. So yeah, we did margarine instead of full-fat butter. I'd say the biggest thing that any woman can do for their health, whether they have Hashimoto's or not, is to eat healthy fats. So healthy fats would be salmon, avocado, olives, olive oil, nuts, seed, chia seed, all that stuff. It's going to help the hormones work and the neurotransmitters. 
How about something outside of food? Any causes that, so let's say someone's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like, my eating habits are pretty dialed in. Are there maybe some other factors they should start to investigate? Yes. I'm so glad you asked about that because the other number one big thing is exercise and circulation. So if we do not have enough circulation getting to our brains, our brains are not going to work. And so there's this whole big trend I see in the Hashimoto's community about not exercising and doing yoga. And that is a very bad mistake that a lot of women are making because yoga is very good for our bodies. And I love yoga. Yoga is very relaxing, good for the vagus nerve. But yoga will not give us nitric oxide first nor will it give us an opioid response. We need to really work and push our bodies. That's why I love what you're doing with Thyroid Strong, getting women to exercise because I am a lover of weightlifting. I think it's like the best thing that I ever did. I know on those days where maybe brain fog is creeping in, maybe I didn't sleep so well, my little my little one ran into my room in the middle of the night screaming, mommy. And I will sometimes just be dragging and I'll be like, oh, what was I going to, how's I going to finish my sentence? And I'll do maybe 10 minutes and I'll see, okay, how do I feel? Wow. Like all the synapses feel like they're firing again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I noticed the same thing, the same thing. And exercise will also help our blood sugar. And we need really good blood sugar for our brain to work as well. Yeah. Can you speak more to that? Oh, blood sugar. Yeah. Here's the thing that a lot of women don't realize. And I actually just kind of figured this out myself. We are sent to an endocrinologist when we get you know, our diagnosis. We're diagnosed by either a general practitioner or endocrinologist. And they just give us thyroid hormones. They don't tell us that. Once thyroid hormones are off balance, that's going to make all endocrines hormones off balance. So that means insulin, adrenals, and sex hormones. So we really need to get all of our hormones balanced. And I think a lot of women don't realize that. I know some other contributors to this brain fog that we experience with Hashimoto's could be poor sleep, high blood pressure, especially going back to that idea of like blood flow to the brain. And then things that can create inflammatory load, some environmental triggers like heavy metal exposure, mold exposure. And I know another one that's super common with the Hashi ladies is we often get diagnosed with anemia, which can lead to fatigue and then also that brain fog. Yeah. Anemia is funny because anemia can actually be anemia for many, many different reasons. It can be autoimmune anemia, but the most common, it's actually low stomach acid. Low stomach acid is one of the biggest problems I see in our industry because people don't realize that when we are in a hypothyroid state, our whole digestion gets off. So it affects the gallbladder, the liver, the pancreas, everything, and all of those hormones. And all of our neurotransmitters. That's why I love eating a lot of fat in the diet because that can help the neurotransmitters and the hormones. I also like the exercise because that helps the blood sugar and the circulation. The other part of it is going to be really our mindset because as I was talking about before, when we have all these brain fog problems, it messes with our self-esteem and our confidence. So if we can work on mindset 
and not being like in a victim mindset and having an open mindset, then that's another way that we can learn to deal with our brain fog. Going back to the fats, do you like people to eat their fats? Like, do you like it found in food versus maybe a supplement? I'm not really into supplements that much unless someone has some sort of flair. Like, for example, like I had to have my knee replaced and that caused a flare because that is emotional and physical stress. So people seem to just want to focus on emotional stress when they talk about like adrenals and stress and all that. But stress can actually be from a virus or a pathogen or mold or just about everything stresses the human body. So when I had my knee replacement, I was taking a boatload of supplements. Like it was like mind blowing. I was probably taking like 30 supplements. No lie. I swear. Now I only take HCL, which is hydrochloric acid for my stomach acid. I take digestive, a good multiple digestive enzyme. Occasionally I'll take liposomal turmeric when I'm feeling pain or if I want to got these little strategies, like if I want to enjoy some alcohol, I might do like a leaky gut protocol, short day, like prevention protocol, and then add in some liposomal glutathione if I think that I might be causing a little bit more swelling or inflammation. Like oxidative stress. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I like HCL, digestive enzymes, liposomal turmeric, and liposomal glutathione, and vitamin D, and magnesium. That's all I take. For someone who might sound like, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> that's nothing. <laughs> that's that's nothing compared to what I used to take. Oh, my gosh. I used to take the vitamin Bs and all this stuff. So why do you think a lot of women struggle with low stomach acid? I mean, I think not only women, but as a society. Yeah, I think standard American diet causes it. Um, We lose our stomach acid as we age. And when we are in a hypothyroid state, either not enough thyroid hormones or too much inflammation blocking thyroid hormones or in an overly low or overly high adrenal state, or we don't have enough sex hormones because we're perimenopause or menopause or whatever the case may be. I think that's the problem. I think all of these issues cause low stomach acid. I think another one that I, that comes to mind that's maybe more of a environmental factor would be that um, a lot of us are underdiagnosed with parasites. You know, we think about like, oh, we live in, you know, the States. Well, we're, we don't have parasites. That's for like third world developing countries. But actually, it's probably much more common than or that we want to believe because the thought of having parasites in ourselves grosses a lot of people out. Yeah, I'm not a parasite girl. That happens to not be my problem. I do know that there is a lot of talk about parasite. I am not on the parasite bandwagon. I'm just going to be straight up yeah. with you on that. I do think the reason we are getting you know more talk about parasites is because even though it's not third world countries, we are traveling abroad a lot Mm -hmm. and we are allowed, you know, other people are coming to America and the whole distribution, the food channels have opened up. I think that's part of it. 
But I think one thing that people do not talk about that kind of scares me with parasites is parasites can actually be good for us, Hmm, which is mind-blowing. Dr. Karazian talks a lot about this. He talks, and that's my mentor. I mean, that's who I follow. I I follow his work. He actually says that we have to be careful removing parasites because some parasites can actually help us with autoimmunity. Is he talking particularly um, hookworm? Because I know there's some doctors out there that are playing with um, hookworm infections with autoimmune populations. I haven't heard anything particular about hookworms. He just says in the research, we have to be careful with parasites because there's a lot of parasites that actually help us. Mm. Not all parasites hurt us. Yeah. So that freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, I think it's also like chicken or the egg. Because I think in an ideal world, if we did have the proper amount of stomach acid or the balance of stomach acid, the stomach acid would kill the parasite. Exactly. We wouldn't need to kill the parasite. Our body would naturally do it if if it was optimized. Okay, so that is why I am so into stomach acid, especially because of COVID. We live in this COVID world and we can actually get COVID, you know, when we go to restaurants and it can drop on food and then we can get COVID in our intestines, in our stomach, in our gut. And so that is that would be because of low stomach acid. You mentioned this in the beginning that Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease, not necessarily an organ system dysfunction. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, you know, I've talked to a lot of women on the web about this. There are a good amount of women who think that Hashimoto's just happens. Like magically, it's just some kind of gene problem and it just like you get to a certain age and it just like stops working. That's not really how the human body works. So what happens is Hashimoto's is just like all autoimmune diseases. So everything's going along fine. And usually what happens is the person gets a pathogen. So a pathogen would be either a virus or a bacterial infection. I'm lucky enough to have both. Most people do have both, I would say, but some people might not have both. The other problem could be like a toxic overload, like BPA overload, but it's usually a pathogen. So the pathogen comes in and changes the way the immune system works. I think that's what people don't understand. So when the immune system sees a pathogen, it starts going into overdrive and it starts acting like a Pac-Man and just like just chomps up everything that it thinks that the virus is. And something happens in the immune system where it just gets overzealous and it just goes on overdrive. It just gets so aggressive trying to attack the virus because the virus will try to like hide from the immune system that the immune system will start attacking body systems, body tissue, body organs. And so in the case of Hashimoto's, it attacks the thyroid gland. So what happens is then people will eat food after this virus. And so let's say like, for example, gluten. So people don't understand why can't I eat gluten? Well, the reason you can't eat gluten is because your immune system is so busy trying to put out this virus that it's the gluten protein looks like the virus. And so it starts attacking the gluten also. And so when, when you eat gluten, it actually, not only does it attack your thyroid gland, it also attacks your brain. And so that's another part of the whole brain symptom thing that people get because 
when your immune system attacks your cerebellum, it gives you symptoms of vertigo and dizziness. And if you just go to a regular doctor, they are not going to put these symptoms together and call it Hashimoto's. They're going to name it some other disease like Marinara's disease or whatever that disease is called. Like they're going to just say, oh, you just have vertigo, just a dizzy woman, go home, guys, here's an anti-anxiety, here's Glonopin. <laughs> yeah. But really your immune system is attacking your brain. Right. So where do you start to work with women who are struggling with brain fog, right? Because it's kind of like all these different factors you don't want to overwhelm someone. So it's like, where do you start first? How do you prioritize? What is most important? I always start with the physical body. So we always start with food and digestion. That is always the first thing. Some people are going to have resistance towards doing the diet. And so they might need to have some mindset work, you know, mixed in with the actual diet and digestion part because Gluten is a very addictive substance, and it actually gives some people an opioid response. And so we might have to work through that addiction a little bit with mindsets. But definitely, once diet and digestion are dialed in, then we look at hormones because your brain's not going to work if you don't have estrogen. It's just not going to happen. And there's a lot of talk on estrogen because there are research studies on synthetic estrogen, and then there are research studies on natural plant-based estrogen. And so the studies are pretty scary on the fake side of the fence, on the synthetic chemical side, but natural plant estrogens are perfectly safe and needed. Are there any particular recommendations? Like, are you working more like lifestyle factors or when it relates to the physical body or, you know, because sometimes it can feel like a tidal wave or a fire hydrant of information when you're first diagnosed it can feel really overwhelming. And I think a good practitioner creates kind of a hierarchy, right? They're like, okay, we're going to treat this first. We're going to focus on this one thing. Whereas I've noticed some practitioners are kind of like, do the fire hose approach. And then sometimes we can feel overwhelmed. I'd say it's going to depend on the person and yeah. what they can handle also. Because sometimes people just want it all and they just want to go through it all. Mm -hmm. Other times people are in a very overwhelmed state because of the brain fog, because of the digestive issues. So it could even be a plan where you just do a little bit of the diet, a little bit of the digestion work, a little bit of mindset, and then you throw in a little bit of exercise. You get your sleep dialed in, look at circadian rhythms, but you will need to balance all of the hormones. You know, I see a lot of talk on Instagram about eat this for balancing hormones. You can't, there's no food that is going to give you more estrogen when you are in a perimenopause or menopausal state. So I think we need to really be, we really need to think about the words that we're using when we are talking about health and the human body, because there's a big difference between eating to balance hormones and eating to get hormones into the cell. Yeah. There's like a lot of words being thrown around on the Instagram, which is very misleading. <laughs> 
you know, because words have meaning. And I think we need to be really thoughtful and really, we really need to think about the words that we're using because you can't, no amount of food is going to balance hormones if we don't have enough estrogen. We actually need estrogen, just like we actually need thyroid hormones. You, you can't eat to balance hormones. So that whole marketing thing needs to change. <laughs> yeah. If I'm being honest, and, yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. I'm just very opinionated and outspoken yeah. because I am a badass autoimmune rebel. That's right. Do you find that the women who get back to maybe optimized or feeling good or who do the work, is there a mindset difference between those who respond well as clients versus those who don't? Is there a mindset, like, is there a piece that's there for the women who make the changes and start to feel like themselves again? Yeah. So there are women who think, I am who I am. My whole family's like this. My mom was like this. My grandma's like this. This is who I am. I'm actually proud of who I am. I worked really hard to be this negative and no one is stopping me. <laughs> like I am waving my flag. <laughs> yeah, no, those people are probably not going to get better because yeah. they are who they are and I can't tell them anything. Right. And then the women who do get better, what are some of the mindset qualities that they all embody? Really an open mind, you know, really that acceptance of East meets West, the acceptance of, yeah, maybe my thoughts and emotions, maybe that there is something there to that. Maybe can try to look at the things that I like in the world versus complaining about the bad health that I have. It's a lot of work. It's not easy because the Hashimoto's woman has two things going against her. She's got unbalanced hormones, not enough hormones, and neurotransmitters that are not working. All of these things control our moods. So I'm not like really blaming the woman who is like, I am who I am. My mom was like this. My grandma's like this. Like, this is who, this is who we are. I'm not blaming that woman for thinking like that. I get it because I used to be that. Like, that's how my mom is. Like, my mom will never change. That's how she is. Sorry, mom. That's who you are. Love you. <laughs> Love you. Accept you. Don't want to be you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, so I get it because, you know, without the neurotransmitters working and without the right hormones in our body, we are going to be grumpy, grumpy. It's a really steep mountain that we have to climb. It's like much harder than actually climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. It's much harder than that because it's an emotional battle through and through. And then we're dealing with the leaky gut, which is not like we can't just do a protocol and be fixed and good to go. A leaky gut protocol is our life. I think also, you know, just keeping with that visual of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is it's linear, right? You start at the bottom, you walk to the top. It's a grind. But, you know, on the journey of an autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's, it's like one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, you know? Totally. Whether it's, you know, where you're living or, you know, even exactly. from an environmental perspective, like with all the wildfires out West right now, like one day that air is amazing. The next day you're like breathing in whatever 
those fires are burning and blowing across the country. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. And and mold, mold is everywhere. Everywhere. So if, if you have the mold genes, you are like detoxing every single day. It's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you really wanted to share with the Hashi ladies? The only other thing I haven't mentioned diet-wise, the my two other tricks are to eat lots of antioxidants because antioxidants along with healthy fats is what's going to put out our inflammation. And so antioxidants like a diversity of fiber. So that's the other piece. So the mistake that I see a lot of autoimmune patients making is they think that they're eating really healthy because they have like a clean piece of meat, like a piece of salmon, and then they have like a little bit of potato and then they have some broccoli. And that sounds really good. And it is really good. There's, that's like a perfect meal. The problem is we need plant diversity for our gut microbes because an autoimmune patient has an unbalanced gut microbiome. So they have more bad bugs than good bugs. So we need to push out the bad bugs by eating a diversity of fiber. So I try to have at least, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I try to eat like eight to 10 veggies per day. Different kinds of veggies. Different. So what I do is I cut up a bunch of raw veggies and I just literally bake them in the oven with olive oil and a bunch of seasonings in the oven for like 40 minutes. And that's my diversity. So I usually have like, you know, white potato, sweet potato, onion, cauliflower, broccoli, string beans, mushrooms. I just throw in the whole kitchen sink, you know, asparagus, whatever I can think of, as many as I can think of. And I always make sure each week I am eating like a random different veggie to give, you know, a different kind of a fiber. And when you're talking about antioxidants, for women who don't know what foods would have behind antioxidants, what would be some of those foods? I try to eat a lot of superfoods. So they can just Google superfoods, but it would be like salmon, wild blueberries, pomegranate, you know, the berries, raspberries, all the vegetables. Yeah. I mean, even avocados is superfood. So diversity, antioxidants, protein, and fiber and fats. And fats. Fats, fats. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Lori, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram or on Facebook at Badass Autoimmune Rebel. They can also join me on, I've got a Facebook group called Hashimoto Sisterhood. They can join me there. Awesome. And then do you have any courses or memberships where people can learn from you more? I do. I have a membership called Food Freedom. And in that membership, I've got all my recipes that I use to get myself in remission and to stay in remission. It's got like a guide section where it's like a whole educational section on how to eat and digestion and then a couple of assessments, a gut assessment and a brain assessment. And then I also do individual, you know, personal coaching via the phone and Boxer. And then I also have a VIP option, which is a three-month full transformation option. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a fun chat and it's been great to have you on. Thanks. It's been fun. 
if you enjoyed this episode or even learned just one new piece of information to help you on your Hashimoto's journey, would you do me a huge favor? Rate and review Thyroid Strong Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you used to listen in to this podcast and share what you liked. Maybe you learned something new. And if you didn't like it, well, shoot me a DM on Instagram, Dr. Emily Kybird. I read and respond to every single DM. I truly believe all feedback is good feedback, even the ugly comments. If you're interested in joining the Thyroid Strong course, a home workout program using kettlebells and weights, where I teach you how to work out without the burnout, go to dremilykybird.com forward slash TS waitlist. You'll get all the most up-to-date information on when the course launches and goes live, special deals and early access bonuses for myself and my functional medicine doctor friends. Again, dremilykybird.com forward slash TS waitlist. I hope to see you on the inside, ladies.